0: So you want your employees to be engaged. You want them to be present in the moment. You want them to, you know, be fulfilled. And engagement leads to fulfillment, which leads to job satisfaction. You know, I believe there's a study done that shows that, you know, autonomy leads to a 17% increase in engagement and job satisfaction. You know, it's it's measurable. When you give people that leeway to have a say in how they do their jobs, they become more engaged and which leads them to be more satisfied, which leads them to become more loyal.
1: Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now here's your host, Matt Lyles.
2: There are a number of issues that are challenging businesses right now. Supply chain issues, trucking and logistics issues, labor issues, the great resignation. But I will die on the hill of saying that these issues are not fully caused by the pandemic. Warren Buffett had a quote that I used to always equate to finance, but it absolutely fits right here. And he said, It's only when the tide goes out that you learn who's been swimming naked. Now, what he meant was, things may look great and rosy up to a certain point, but if a company is leveraged too much, expecting the continued waves to come, but instead the tide goes out, everything will be exposed. And it's not pretty. Too many businesses have continued to operate the same way for decades because that's how we've always done things. Listen, how you wield and hold power of the strategic decisions for your company, how you hold and wield power over your teams, has implications and will have implications for years to come, positive or negative. Here's a specific case today. Right now, we're hearing that the trucking industry has a problem with a shortage of truck drivers. Now, the narrative has been that the COVID pandemic created this problem. That all of the sudden, people are buying more online with more being shipped and delivered by trucks. And magically, all of a the sudden, there's now a shortage of truck drivers. I hate to break the news to you. But the COVID pandemic did not fully cause this. What caused it was the trucking industry remaining complacent for decades and not planning for this. The industry had access to all of the research that showed how e-commerce and e-commerce shipping was expected to exponentially increase. And they planned for the technology behind their delivery systems, but did almost nothing. To plan for the labor needed to support this growth they managed and paid and treated their drivers the same because that's how we've always done it and it's always worked this way that's the problem about complacency and managing by that's how we've always done it sure it's always worked that way until it doesn't if that's the way you're operating Don't be surprised if one day your company ends up like Blockbuster Video, like Kodak, like Circuit City, like Sears. While there are so many thought leaders and authors who are providing some fantastic lessons on how to become successful, no one is talking nearly enough about how to ensure you remain successful once you do make it. And that's why I was so happy to talk with Lynn Hurstein this week. This one's a really fresh conversation that's a bit different than most. Lynn's had a long history developing, growing, and managing some pretty well-known brands. Campbell's Soup, Coca-Cola, Nabisco, and many more. Today, he's the founder, CEO, and president of ManageCamp, Inc., where he provides the strategic vision behind the annual Brand Manage Camp conferences. And he leads the planning on clients' custom events. And he's the day-to-day contact and project manager for Manage Camp's brand consulting projects. And this is pretty cool. On the side, he's a volunteer sheriff's deputy in Colorado. And Lynn is the author of Be Vigilant, Strategies to Stop Complacency, improve performance, and safeguard success. Your business and relationships depend on it. Listen, so many books and authors teach lessons on how to become successful. But Lynn's lessons are a little different. They focus on what to do once you're already successful. In Be Vigilant, Lynn teaches us how so many successful companies, and even successful leaders, can fail Big time when they get complacent. And he teaches us how to best guard against complacency so that we can remain successful. What's really cool here is that in his book, Lynn uses cautionary tales from both businesses that have fallen, but also from some of the crime and police lessons he's learned in his time as a volunteer sheriff's deputy. So here it is. Here's my interview with Lynn Hurstein. Hey Lynn, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much, Matt. Really happy to be here. Yeah, well, and congratulations. You know, be vigilant. This is your first book, right?
0: It is my first book. I feel like a new parent I'm feeling like this may be my last book, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see.
2: Oh, yeah, understood. Especially like once it's like in that release period, you're like, do I want to do this again? This is a lot of work, but Given what I read, I know you've got some more great stories in you. So I'm hopeful for at least a second book from you whenever that comes out. But yeah, you're I, right. I appreciate you're right. it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's almost like a birth process. And there's so much blood, sweat, tears, and work that goes into it. But then there's so much pride when it comes out as well. And I'm saying this, not even like I I haven't even released a book yet. I have a book in me. I have the goal to to release a book in the very, very near future. That's awesome. But I understand like everyone talks about their books with such pride, just like their children. Love it. But beyond Be Vigilant, beyond the book, beyond your lessons, you're also a volunteer deputy in addition to all all this work. And I got to think, given the risks involved, given how some people in the community may not always treat police officers with respect and then especially given the growing negative view of police over the past 18 months i have to expect that that takes a lot out of you as an unpaid volunteer
0: you know i i um i'm lucky enough that i work in an area where we have a fantastic relationship with our with our community oh, um and uh and you know uh we get along great i mean you know obviously Becoming a police officer and doing it for free six years ago, I mean, this is uh, maybe the worst history to ever do that, but it's, uh, its you know, I'm doing it because of all the reasons that you're talking about it. And it, I view it as an opportunity every day to make a positive impact and to, you know, have a positive effect on people's lives. And so, you know, if you get bogged down in the news and you get bogged down and all that stuff, it can become a weight on your shoulders, but I try not to let that happen.
2: Wow. Good for you. Great job. And I can imagine that if that's something that you really want to do, and that's, that's really the way that you've felt called to serve your community in an unpaid role, then maybe it does make it easier for you to be able to say, okay, you know, I get these negative situations, but I'm going
0: to try to make them better. Yeah. And listen, I came to this with 45 years of life experience under my belt, right? That's right. Not the normal age yeah, to start. Exactly. That. So I come at it with with a different set of experiences and a different set of life lessons, um, you know, that I'm bringing to the table. I'm a pretty even keel guy, and I, I, uh, you know, understand different perspectives, and I understand people's different, you know, the different paths people take through lives and the different viewpoints they have, and so I think that has actually played really well into allowing me to be better at this uh, than I would have been uh, you know maybe twenty years ago.
2: Oh, wow. that's great insight. Love that. And then you know, I, I want to talk about your book, but before we do, I want to give a public apology here. I apologize. Uh, i <laughs> I actually prejudged your book before I even started reading it, based <laughs> on how I knew you were tying. Business with police work, okay, and and my teachers always said, "Don't judge a book by its cover," <laughs> and, and and I did just that. Yeah, but but having read the book, oh my goodness, I love how you tie those two concepts and
0: situations together. That's a fantastic tie. I appreciate that. Thank you for that admission. I don't think that's going to be you know far off from how a lot of people are going to uh, you know to look at this, and and obviously you know, when I started writing the book, it was, you know, pre some of the things that have happened in the last year and a half. Right. Um, but, you know, everybody's coming in with their own experiences and their own things. And, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, my hope is that people can can see past that and, and get into it and, and read the book and, and really see that this is not a police book. This is a business book.
2: Right. Absolutely. And then You know, secondary as well, it does give some really good behind the scenes perspective into the experiences and mindsets of sheriffs, deputies and police officers and what you have to go through and what has to go in your head all day, every day, no matter where you are. So I just love the tie. I think it's great. But now, tell me more about the book. What brought you to write "Be Vigilant"?
0: Yeah. So I mean, I have been in business for you know thirty plus years, and for the last you know eighteen or nineteen, I've been running the Brand Manage Camp conference. And I, you know, my background is in in marketing and and uh, and brand marketing and and stuff. And and so when I started this police thing back in two thousand fifteen. For me, it was going to be something completely different. It was gonna be different than any other experience I've had, and it was, you know a way for me to be a public servant and to give back to my community. But it didn't take very long for me to see that there were things I was learning in this new role in law enforcement that were immediately applicable back to uh, my business life, my marketing life, my personal life. and And one of those things that immediately jumped out was this idea that complacency kills. And it didn't take very long for me to realize, you know what, complacency kills, I get that in law enforcement, but it also kills businesses, it kills brands, it kills organizations, and it kills personal relationships. And I started to see how we combat complacency with vigilance in law enforcement. And I looked for ways that, you know, that's where the idea came to me where I said, you know what, there are things that we can tie back for, uh, you know, actionable insights we can use right away in business and in life. To help protect the things that we've worked so hard to achieve, and that's that's where the book "Be Vigilant" came from, and that, that's what it's all about. It's all about how do we, you know, uh, protect the stuff we work so hard to to attain.
2: I love that. Love it. And you know, actually, yesterday I was writing with a college student that is graduating in May. He's already got a job lined up, so this, this guy's a high performer. Yeah, and it's with FedEx. My previous. Employer, my career where I spent 18 years. And I was giving him just spouting out all this advice. And part of it was look for and find and try to present lessons that you find that come from left field. Don't use lessons solely just in your industry and just in business. So look for those lessons that come from other areas. And it's a lot easier for people to listen to you and to engage on those lessons. So, and, and, and I think you're doing just that with this book. But now when we talk about complacency, a lot of people have their own thoughts, their own ideas on what complacency means, um, whether it's just being complacent in life, saying, you know what, I'm just, I'm, I'm happy doing what I'm doing now. I'm not going to move forward. Or maybe even complacency, uh, in sports,
0: but I want to know, how do you define complacency? Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. It's a great question. You know, a lot of people look at complacency as laziness, right? right um, yeah. And 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 complacency and being complacent are words that have almost become like throwaway words. People use them, you know, they'll use it in a moment, whether it's in sports or in life, and they'll be like, hey, you know, don't be complacent, or, you know, oh, they're getting complacent, and then they move on. And nobody ever talks about what does that really mean? And what do you do about it, right? Like, it's one thing to say, don't be complacent. It's another thing to say, how, like, how do you not be complacent? Right. It's, it's, it's a hard thing. It's way deeper, so much easier to say than to do. And so for me, complacency is not laziness. Complacency is an overconfidence, a self-satisfaction, a smugness that makes us unaware of potential danger. Okay. And so that, that's really what it is. It, it's becoming you know, so, so comfortable that we don't see the threats around us. Mm, Yeah, that makes so much sense.
2: And when I think about that with businesses, to me, it seems like it's the, it's the more established businesses. It's the larger businesses. It's the businesses that are too big to fail, That become complacent. And every once in a while, I will read, you know, about financial reporting releases, and then some of the questions that the analysts will ask the C-suite members and the CEO on earnings calls. And every once in a while... I will read about questions about potential competitors. Hey, what are you doing about this potential competitor? And a lot of times, at least for a couple of years, those C-suite members will kind of laugh it off and say, what are you talking about? We don't even see them as as competitors. But then if you pay attention, fast forward two, three years later, Uh oh, they're a big competitor now.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's so much uh, wrapped up, so much good stuff you just wrapped up in that in that uh, in that statement I mean you know number one you, you don't see a lot of you know bootstrapping startups that are complacent right yeah. um you know you don't have people that are maxing out their credit cards working out of their mom's garage that are complacent they're they're hungry yeah right um, but complacency ironically comes with success I think so yeah right so success is the breeding ground of complacency it makes us soft right it makes us overconfident. And what you're talking about, you know, part of that overconfidence, you know, one of the things I talk about is is uh, threat awareness and understanding where those threats can come from. And another thing I talk about is when you can get tunnel vision and uh, and really not see everything around you. And what you're talking about, a lot of times people get into what I call the roadrunner effect. Ah, yes. Uh, Love that. Right? So it's like, you know, Wile e. Coyote gets so focused on the roadrunner that he loses focus on everything around them. And it's all the things around them that end up getting them. Right. It's never the roadrunner. Roadrunner is just going about their business and, uh, and, you know, and then an anvil falls on, uh, on Wiley's coyote's head. Right. And so that, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about you can get so comfortable in who you think your competitors are and so overconfident in your ability to analyze them and to predict what they're doing and to, you know, change what you're doing to fight with them that you can lose sight of, you know, who's coming up in the background. Right. You can be, you know, the solar industry not seeing Tesla. Right. You can be Coke and Pepsi, not seeing, you know, Red Bull or not seeing Waters. Right. There are all these things that you can become so comfortable in what you think you know that you lose sight of what's coming up.
2: And I have to think of so many uh, established, successful, too big to fail businesses over the past, oh, 20 years, I think. How many of them never saw Amazon? As a threat to their business, until it was too late. As as Amazon grew and grew, and then started going into this particular industry or that particular industry, whether it's you know whether it's video streaming, whether it's now you know movie studios, or whether mm-hmm. or, or whether it's logistics and transportation, or even uh,
0: food retail, all of that. The most ironic part of that whole thing is most of those companies who have now you know, felt the wrath of Amazon were probably the same people sitting on the sidelines, you know, like thumbing their nose at borders um, when, you know, when, when the book stuff all started, right. And they saw, they saw it as a book play, right. And never really saw what it could become.
2: And I think at the same time, I think uh, a lot of those leaders may have seen borders or circuit city or, service merchandise or Sears or whoever else. And I think they may have played a uh, Monday quarterback with those mm-hmm. businesses saying, wow, I'm so surprised they didn't see that coming when at the same time they're not paying attention to their own business and not recognizing what's coming to them. Um, what, so I'd like to know from you, what do you think are some big examples of complacency that we've seen that have killed companies that were considered too big to fail?
0: Well, I mean, you've mentioned a lot of them, right? I mean, there's the ones that that we all know, Circuit City and uh, Blockbuster, right, with Netflix and Sears. I mean, these are just companies that were unbelievable. We, I mean, think about what we've seen in the last year and a half with, with COVID. Right. Yeah. Um, and how many businesses have been caught off guard, right? And how many industries got turned upside down. You know, my my other business is, is you know, Manage Camp. Uh, we do consulting and we do conferences, live conferences. Like, think about being in the live conference business, you know, and all of a sudden in March of, you know, 2020, everything shuts down, right? Radio silence. Right. And everybody's thinking, and, and even then people were being complacent, right? Even then people can convince themselves that everything's going to be fine in two months. <laughs> and here we are. Here we are a year and a half later and we're nowhere near fine, no, right? So no. any industry you could probably think of any industry and think about, you know, all the companies that have come up out of nowhere. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, there was no T-Mobile, right? It was, you know, AT&T and Verizon, right? And then, you know, and then all of a sudden there's Sprint. And then now there's different things that, you know, these companies that competed on things that they kind of had their unwritten rules for so long and everything gets turned upside down, right? Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things I like to say is, you know, the best type of disruption is self-disruption. And most of the time, you know, the companies that fail are the ones that can't, can't get themselves to that, can't see what kind of self-disruption they need. You know, Blockbuster couldn't see it, right? Um, Cedars couldn't see it. Circuit City couldn't see it. You know, what do you, what do you need to be doing in your business right now to disrupt yourself?
2: Wow. No, that's, that's insightful. You know, so a lot of the destruction really is self-destruction. It's those things that we're, that businesses are doing to themselves or are not doing that they need to be doing. And then, you know, as you were talking, I just realized this, like, this just hit me. When we think about business complacency like this, I think we tend to tie it to mostly complacency against competitors or disruptors but Mm -hmm. think about where we are today, 2021, with the Mm -hmm. great resignation. How many employers have been complacent with their corporate culture and with their HR practices and with how they treat their employees? Even still today, I think too many businesses are blind to how they're treating their employees and blind to the fact that so many of their employees are thinking about leaving right now and i think too many of them had that mindset of well our employees should just be lucky to have a job
0: oh absolutely i mean you think about how the paradigm of power has shifted and and, and the role that power plays in complacency that, you know it's something i talk about in the book and and it it's so important to understand what kind of power you have in different relationships and what you're doing with that power and because you know as we've seen recently and and if anybody doesn't realize this by now it, you're going to get passed by is that power never stays forever right okay. and so you know we're seeing it right now like people for so long you know companies for so long had so much power and who would think that you know fast food restaurants would have a hard time hiring people at $15 an hour right who would have thought that 5 years ago yeah you know now they're dealing with like like a such a shortage of labor that it impacts everything they do You know, we went to our local Wendy's, uh, you know, a week ago. We don't go out for fast food very often, but we stopped by a local Wendy's. They had one person working there, one person taking the orders and then going back, making the food, bringing it up to the next thing, taking the money. Uh, It was unbelievable. So their dining room was open? No, no, no. Their dining room was closed. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just the drive-through. Yeah. But they had one person working there. Yep.
2: Yeah. It's amazing to be able to see and experience that right now. My youngest son, his favorite restaurant is Popeye's chicken. And his okay. favorite thing is the Popeye's chicken sandwich. Yeah. And and he got a Popeye's gift card sometime earlier this year. Maybe it was even for Christmas. And we have gone to the Popeyes location that is near us. It's maybe two and a half miles, three miles from us. We have gone there a number of times and we learned our lesson because we tried going there to use his gift card. We went there one day and there were no signs, nothing indicating that they were closed. There were lights on in the kitchen and there were a number of people that were in the drive through line, not moving. Someone yeah. was at the drive through window, not moving. And then there was a construction worker that came over and talked to us and said, hey, yeah, we, we've been doing some construction here, but I got to tell you, they're not open. They only have like one or two employees and they're just trying to prepare chicken for later on in the day. And, and wow. we would drive by there a handful of times over the past few months. And then recently, this past Friday evening, they were finally open so my son finally got to go through the drive-through and get his popeye's sandwich
0: that's crazy that's crazy it and is. and you know think about all the lost opportunities there you know what i mean like all the you know in that time frame you're finding other places to eat right you like are. eventually you're gonna move on yeah um yeah. it's crazy it's, it's it's crazy so i mean that that that's exactly what we're, we're you know we're looking at right now like that type of complacency that type of You know, thinking that you can treat your employees a certain way, and that you have all the power, and they need you, and so you know, doing things because you can, not because you should, it comes it comes full circle.
2: Yep, yep. My sons again, like they love the Jurassic Park movies, and I love I love the lessons from those movies. And then the very first one, (laughs) Jeff Goldblum, Doctor Ian Malcolm, his quote of "You were so focused on whether or not you could, you never stopped to think whether or
0: not you should." Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. Articulate, be able to articulate your whys. Why are you doing
2: this? Yeah. Why? Why? What's your main purpose? So another concept that you talk about in the book that I just love, and, and I never had a name to it until you gave it to me, was survivorship bias. So how can corporate mm-hmm. culture allow for survivorship bias to take root and be a detriment in that culture? And then how does that also allow for startups to more easily disrupt those companies?
0: Yeah, so I mean, you know, in essence what survivorship bias is, you know, everybody's seen the the memes, right? You've seen a meme on on Facebook or whatever, whatever social media you use where it says, you know, I survived spankings and lead paint and and, uh, yeah. you know, I survived, you know, riding in the back of station wagons with no seatbelts, you know. Riding in
2: the back of a pickup truck.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, riding back a pickup truck. You know, it'll be different for each generation, but it's all those things, right? Click if you did too, right? And, you know, the, the irony of the whole thing is that if you didn't, you, you certainly can't click, yeah. right? And that, in essence, is what survivorship bias is, is that everybody makes it, you know, certain things make it through a certain gate, Right. And then you just assume that since you made it through the gate, that everything you did beforehand was right. Right. Everything you did beforehand led up to it. It's, it's that, you know, that age old, you know, confusion between, you know, causation and correlation. Right. Um, and so, you know, what that does is the more success you have, the more that you get through things, the more that you can convince yourself that what you did in the past led to that and was the cause of that result. And once that happens, you stop questioning things, right? You stop looking for different ways to do things. You stop, you get complacent. You get overconfident in your abilities where you might've just made it through based on luck. You might've just made it through based on the fact that, you know, you did these things, but someone else, you know, one of your competitors, you know, messed up even, even worse than you did. And so you won. Right. Right. And so, you know, when you have that survivorship bias, it leads to that overconfidence, and that's when things start getting dangerous, right? And your competitors may not have that same survivorship bias, right? They may look at things differently. They may see what you're doing as those vulnerabilities that you have. And once they can start attacking those, and if you're not ready for it, right? You're not, you haven't prepared, you haven't done scenario planning, you haven't questioned um, you know, what's going on even during successful times, that's when, you're, that's when you're most vulnerable. I think so. And
2: then I think another one of those
0: factors is
2: not recognizing the fact that you were successful coming up and growing your business within a specific historical period. You know, it could have been 20, 30, 40 years ago and not recognizing how things are evolving as we move forward in time, how how technology changes and allows newer startups to do things much more quickly than you can, or how customer
0: expectations have changed over time. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And we saw that happen, you know, and take effect, you know, as we had this major disruption in terms of COVID, right? I mean... You know, you have businesses that have, you know, succeeded for so many years based on the way they did things. Um, But all of a sudden, all the, the, you know, all the predicating factors of being able to, you know, be face-to-face with your customers, you know, think about all the restaurants, right, that weren't ready for shifting themselves to a takeout world, right? Right. You know, you have a certain environment within your, your restaurant, you pride yourself on the service that you provide in those four walls in, in your, you know, in the, in the service that you have at the table. And then all of a sudden nobody can come in anymore. Yeah. And now, and now what do you have? Right. And, and, and you have to pivot. Um, and so the, those, those are the things. Yeah.
2: And most of those restaurants didn't pivot. What you saw, and and I get this, I understand this because everyone, most everyone, most of your business was in the same boat. You know, hey, we are all struggling. What you saw from most restaurants was everybody, we're struggling. Please, 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 please come and support our restaurant. It was this; it, they they were begging customers to come to right. their restaurant to spend money, and a lot of us. Would do so out of feeling sorry for those restaurants. There were some that only goes so far. You're you're right, only goes so far because then at some point you're thinking, hey, you know, I'm I'm actually struggling too. And now we're having to adjust our budget, so I can't keep doing this. Then you had other restaurants that were able to slightly pivot. And focus more on you know their takeout method, and then actually recognize that they could take some of their servers and have their servers become delivery drivers for that restaurant. That was a great way to uh, to make that easier for the customer. Then you had the standout restaurants. These were the ones, and and there was there's one here in the Nashville area. It's and I love their barbecue. I love their fried chicken. So this <laughs> restaurant is called Puckets. They have uh, two or three locations. And what they would do was they invested in a food truck they would take this food truck to Mm. certain neighborhoods every single night and they would communicate it out on social. But then I think they would also find ways to communicate directly to those neighborhoods. Hey, neighborhood, Hey, gated community over here, we're going to be in your area on Tuesday night. If you'd like any specific uh, like big meals prepared for you, we'll have them available. And to me, that was a standout brand out experience and they've done really well because of that.
0: Yeah that's awesome right because they figured out a way to take their brand and pivot it in a way that they can still deliver, you know, value to their consumers in a way that fits within their brand, right? So they can still deliver the same experience. And you know, compare and contrast that with, you know, the companies, the restaurants that you know, their answer was to, you know, allow a, you know, a third party food delivery yeah. service to come get food for you. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you got your food showing up in some person's car. You don't even know who these people are. Right. And, and, you know, you've lost that connection. You've lost that experience and your food shows up in a bag and then they eat it at home. And, you know, what have you actually done? You Maybe you've sold some food, but what have you done for your brand?
2: And that's if your food actually showed up. So when you had those, when you have those third party right. delivery people, there's not the best communication between the restaurant and the delivery company, and the delivery drivers. And I had a few experiences where I would place an order food would be coming, you know, 45 minutes later or so. And then about 30 to 45 minutes later, I would get a note from the delivery driver saying, Hi, I'm at the restaurant, and the restaurant says they're supposed to be open in my app, but this restaurant is completely closed right now. The restaurant had closed because maybe they didn't have enough business that night or enough right. servers, and they didn't turn on, like, they didn't flip that switch. It's a simple thing to do. Flip that switch to let Uber or DoorDash or whoever know, hey, we're now closed for the night. They didn't communicate that, and it made for a poor experience.
0: Well, and yeah, that's on the complete other end of the spectrum. In the area of things people probably don't want to know, and I I kind of get a view of in my role in law enforcement. I mean, I'm not going to mention any names of any third party things, but I can tell you on numerous occasions. You know, we've come into contact with people who have food that they're delivering, and when you see the inside of these cars and how what they're doing, and and you know, you would (laughs) you would never eat in a restaurant that looked like that. You know, I mean, you you know, you, you come across someone who's passed out in their car because they just, you know, have oh, some, some cleaner and, and your food sitting next to, you know, and they're living out of their car. And, you know, and I'm not saying this is, this is most of them, but you have experiences like that. And just think about, you know, what that does to your business. Right.
2: Absolutely. And the health department doesn't go around, uh, testing and checking and reviewing all those drivers
0: cars. Yeah. So here's the, here's the thing, you know, I know you're all about simple. Here's a simple idea. I wish somebody would do in the, in that third party food delivery services, put a live webcam in the cars of your drivers so that you can see your food and the environment that your food is in as it's being delivered to you. That's a great point.
2: That's a great point. I, you know, I I see pros and cons to that, but I will say some of the best experiences that I've had from food delivery people is when they will take a picture of themselves. Mm -hmm. And usually when they do that, they're inside their car, take a picture of themselves, maybe holding the bag and smiling and say, Hey, I'm on my way. I've got your food right here.
0: To me, that gives me a little bit better sense of security on the food. Yeah. I mean, that's a version of accountability and transparency, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, going back to vigilance,
2: complacency, a lot of how you can combat complacency is identifying those threats. Mm -hmm. So how can businesses go about identifying possible threats, either threats to the business or threats to their leaders individually or even, you know, individual threats to yourself?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, I mean, I think one of the things that's important to understand as you think about complacency and how you fight it, is you know, a lot of people I think that the opposite of complacency is paranoia and it's not. Oh, right? yeah. No, no, so, no. So so, you know, paranoia is the fear of potential threats, whereas vigilance is the awareness of it, right? And so that's an important distinction to make because the way that we fight complacency is with vigilance, with building the awareness of of potential dangers. And that's what you're talking about in terms of threat awareness. How do we How do we maintain a view of all the different places where things could be attacking us from that could be, you know, causing issues for us, right? And in police work, we do a lot of, you know, really scenario planning, like trying to understand where can all those dangers come from? I I talk about in a book how difficult it is for my family to go out to dinner with me because I'm very picky about where I sit in a restaurant, (laughs) right? Because I would need to know where the exits are and I don't want to have my back to a window and I don't want to have my back to where the servers are coming from and all these types of things that makes it you know, kind of a pain in the butt, but within your own organization, you have to start thinking about where can those threats come from? And it's not a one point in time activity, right? We've already talked about the fact that those threats can be coming from places that you would never expect them to be coming from. And so you have to, you know, institutionalize within your organization and, you know, within your life, within your family, this is just as applicable to to personal relationships too, is understanding where could those threats come from and making sure you've got eyes on them. Right. That's what the restaurant story is all about is, you know, I understand where the threats can come from and I have a way of keeping my eyes on them so I don't have to worry. Right. And I already know in advance what I'm going to do about it if something happens. And so I'm not sitting there paranoid. I'm just aware. Right. And I'm ready. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's what you want to do in an organization. You want to have people that have specific responsibilities for keeping an eye out. You know, some people are obviously, you know, watching your competitors. Some people have to have a specific responsibility for watching out where, you know, where threats can come from that you don't have competitors today. Where could competitors pop up? What are other industries that could become competitors? Where could threats come from that are environmental or governmental or um, economic, right? Right.
2: Yeah. And I think that some of the most successful leaders, the best leaders are those that, they're able to work with their team to have their eyes on those threats, but they also encourage their team members to say, hey, and also keep your eyes on me as well. I want to continue to be a successful leader. Keep your eyes on me and let me know what some of those threats are that might threaten
0: how I approach my leadership and serve my people. Absolutely. In that statement, you're kind of covering know a few different chapters in the book so on one hand you have this idea of accountability and transparency right right and how important it is so i you know i have what i call the atv model accountability plus transparency equals vigilance right so vigilance doesn't just pop out of nowhere you have to create the environment for it and if you publicly put yourself out there as to what you stand for and what what you're going to judge be judged on and then you're transparent about what you do in, in your quest for that Vigilance follows, right? You have to because you've put yourself out there. So when a leader puts themselves out there to hold themselves accountable to not only their customers, but also their employees and their internal constituents, and then they're transparent about what they're doing, they make themselves vigilant and they allow the organization to be vigilant. But the other thing you're talking about is giving everybody the autonomy and the the discretion to be able to be vigilant on their own right so you know to me a difference you know every organization has you know people sitting in a c-suite but especially you you work for fedex right you you've got people that are on the street every day delivering packages these are the people that you need to be vigilant right it's one thing to be vigilant and think that you're being you know uh, doing the right things in the c-suite but you need everybody at at every level especially the ones who are your you know front-facing force to your customers to have that ability to recognize things, to vocalize them, to have the autonomy and and discretion within their jobs to handle things at that level. So important in order to roll that back up to allowing your leadership and your leaders to be vigilant.
2: And when you allow for and even encourage that autonomy, that empowerment, that helps strengthen your culture as well when employees feel and know that they have that level of empowerment
0: they are much more loyal to their employer oh absolutely and even before the loyalty comes engagement right so you want your yeah. employees to be engaged you want them to be present in the moment you want them to you know be fulfilled and engagement leads to fulfillment which leads to job satisfaction you know i believe there's a study done that shows that you know autonomy leads to a 17% increase in engagement and job satisfaction. You know, it's, it's measurable. When you give people that leeway to have a say in how they do their jobs, they become more engaged, and which leads them to be more satisfied, which leads them to become more loyal.
2: And more productive and more effective and less less work that the c-suite and that leadership has to do that is not that strategic needle moving work if that makes sense
0: oh absolutely that makes 100 percent sense yeah
2: did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles i speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience I've spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe. If you want a winning brand, you have to provide a simple experience to your customers and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. As a speaker, I know how to connect with that audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event. The last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, if I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com slash speaking, you'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com slash speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd. All right, so one of the tools that you talk about that helps leaders and teams to combat this complacency is having regular high-frequency briefings and debriefings. So tell me about the value of that.
0: Yeah, so this is something that that I learned through my experience in law enforcement because we start every shift. Now, I work in patrol, so we start every shift with a briefing. Right. right and where you know we get together as a team and we discuss things and we you know cover off on what our objectives are and we discuss important items and we go through some training and stuff like that but then we also you know the big learning for me was how we use debriefings right and so if you think about how you debrief today in your organization or even in your family more than likely if you're like most what you're doing is you're really reserving all those debriefings for when things go wrong right? And they become kind of like a blame mission. Like, how do we figure out whose fault this was, right? And and how do we assign blame and then figure out how do we not make these mistakes again? But what the best organizations do and what we do in law enforcement and what you'll see in sports, I just did a blog post on this about uh, Tom Brady, is the best organizations do the debriefs regardless of the outcome, right? So you figure out what your major missions are, what your major segments of work are, and you debrief them, even when they're seemingly successful. And what you'll find is that even within success, there's much we can learn, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there are things that we did right that we could have done righter. You know, listen, I'm, uh, this is why I have editors, because uh, I'm not grammatically uh, astute, but you get the more, idea, right? More right, <laughs> <laughs> more right, whatever it is. Um, yeah. There are things Better. that went right by accident. Right, yeah. There are things where you made mistakes, but somebody, you know, but maybe your competitors made bigger mistakes, and so you ended up winning. Right, and so we see this, we see this all the time. And you know, a great example is, like I said, Tom Brady. I mean, you know, we just uh, recently, uh, you know, his uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers went back and played New England Patriots, big story. They end up winning nineteen seventeen. And, you know, immediately after game, you know, the story that the interviewer wants to tell with Tom is how important his win was and what it meant and all this stuff. And what Tom wants to talk about is what went wrong. He wants to talk about, hey, we have too many penalties. We didn't we didn't do well in the red zone. Uh, We got to do better. Right. He's already moving on to what can we improve upon? And that's that's to me, you know, a key part of vigilance is. You know, vigilance is questioning everything, even when everything goes right.
2: Yes. And I think the military refers to that as an after action review. Right. And I've given that and use it as a tool with some C-suite clients that I have to kind of help focus on when they've had like a big presentation or when they've had like, or when they've had a board meeting, you know, encouraging that after action review. And then I've also encouraged that with my boys as of late. Uh, Like, I I think it was just this past week, I was talking to both of my children about the value of an after action review, whether it was right after a quiz or a test that they took at school, or whether it was after a belt test that they took in Taekwondo. You may have passed, you may have done well, but take that time. What did you do well? Where did you struggle? Where could things have gone better? And then what did you learn from that that you can do next time?
0: I love it. I love it. That is so great. And, And it's so important, right? It's so important to be able to not just get so self-satisfied with success that you lose those opportunities. So I love that you're doing that with your kids. I think that's so great. And in the book, what I talk about is seven specific things you can do to make your debriefs more more powerful, more effective, and more productive. Right, yeah. So can, can you quickly share a few of those? Um, yeah, so I mean, the first thing is, you, know, you definitely, you wanna make it timely, right? So you wanna do yes. it- right after. You don't want to wait. You know, I talk about in a book how we had, you know, a shooting and it was in the middle of the day and, you know, we all got, you know, there quickly and, you know, I won't go through the whole story, but, there, you know, everything we turned out positive for us. We were able to resolve it in a successful way. Well, you know, instead of sending everybody back to the road, we brought everybody in and we had a debrief right away to talk about what went right, what went wrong, what went right by accident, what we could do differently. So being timely with your debriefs is really important. The other thing you want to do is you want to make it understood that you're going to have these debriefs so that people expect them. When people know that they're going to, when your kids know that they're going to be asked after their Taekwondo test, what went right and what went wrong, they're going to pay more attention to what they're doing right? Just the understanding that they're going to have to answer those questions afterwards makes them more vigilant, right? Oh,
2: yeah. I didn't realize that, but yeah, you're right.
0: Yeah. So that, that, you know, those are two quick things. I'll give you one more out of of seven, but the other one that I think is so important is that, you know, leave titles and ranks and seniority at the door, right? When you get into that debrief, you know, you might find that a lot of times the most insightful things are going to come from the people that are the newest, right? Or the people without all the baggage. And so you don't want it to be, you know, you know, sometimes you have a debrief and, and, you know, your leader or your, whoever is in charge leads the whole thing and everybody kind of sits back and, you know, is afraid to say things that's not useful, right? That's, that's just a one-sided meeting. That's not really a debrief. If you're going to do it right, you got to leave the titles at the door. Of
2: course. Those are great lessons to have right there for how to do a debriefing. And Lynn, I've learned so many lessons just from reading this book. I enjoyed all the stories, but I love how they tied to everything as well. And I rarely do this with a podcast guest. Um, I rarely quote from the book, but I've got to say, if I had to sum up the book in two sentences that you actually wrote, I would say that all the book can be summed up with this. Everything goes right. Right until it goes wrong. And when it goes wrong,
0: it goes very wrong. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love that you, that you like that. It's so important. It really is. Thank you. Yeah. I might
2: want to put that quote up on my wall at my desk. I love it. Yes. Uh, But Lynn, last question before we go, if you were to create a five song soundtrack for
0: Be Vigilant, what songs would you include? So five songs about Be Vigilant. So, this was tough for me, man, because you, you, you know, first understand. Of all, we, we talked about the fact, you know, before we got on, we talked about the fact that I am not, you know, a, a musical guy. I, I love music, but I, but I'm not a, an encyclopedia of information uh, about it. But I also, um, you know, the, the heart of be vigilant is this idea of, protecting the success you've worked so hard, right? And not getting complacent, right? And fighting that right. with vigilance. And when I was looking through all the songs I like, there, there's a lot of songs about overcoming, you know, obstacles and overcoming hardships. And there's a lot of songs about um a lot of things, but there's not a lot of songs that, you know, this is a hopeful book, right? This is this is a book about oh, you know, we are successful and how do we maintain that success. So with that, the five songs I came up with that I would love. Number one is uh, winning by Santana. Ooh. So there's, there's a great line in that song where it says I'm winning and I don't intend on losing again. Right. Oh, wow. And to yeah. me, that's what this book is about, right? Like this, this book is not a, how to be successful book. This is a book on how to stay successful, right? That's you it. Know? Yeah. So that, I love that one. Then I go to, you know, most of the movies I see with my kid, my kids are a little bit older now, but a few years ago we saw this, uh, this movie Zootopia, there's a movie, there's a spoken air, Shakira uh, sings a song called try everything,
2: try everything.
0: Right. And, um, and in that she says, you know, I won't give up until I reach the end and then I'll start again. Right. So understanding that this is not, this is not a game with an endpoint, right. This is something that we have to work on always because complacency is always going to be there when we let it in.
2: I don't normally listen to that style of music and me I don't normally listen to, to Shakira, but I love that song. And to me, that song is so inspirational.
0: Yeah. Listen, my hips do lie. So I, uh, <laughs> I, you know, Shakira, I can't do anything that, that, but, uh, I'm, I'm a country music guy, you know? Oh, there uh, you go. But, but I do love that song. Um, third one is uh cake going the distance. Yes. So I just yeah. I just love the message in that song, uh, and then even after everybody else has gone home, exactly, exactly, right. So just going around that track and nobody's left, and you just keep going, right. Then there's a song I was looking for a song about accountability, and there's a great song by Jack Johnson with my own two hands.
2: Yeah, um,
0: and that's all nice. about taking accountability and 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 being the person who makes change, right. Um, and so I think that's an important message of the book. And then, you know, one of the things that, that I always learned in, in, um, in police training, so we do a lot of scenario planning and stuff like that. And we do, you know, a lot of, um, you know, in, in, our, in our arrest control training, which is like our, our hand-to-hand combat type stuff. We do a lot of stuff like that, where, you know, right. y- your, your instructor is obviously gonna be better at it than you are and stuff like that. But one of the things that we always try and do is figure out a way to end with a win right? Because you want to build that muscle memory to feel like, to, to understand what it feels like to win and to understand, um, to continue to strive for that. So we always, we, we try not to end our training or anything with, with a, you know, with a failure. We always want to end with a success. And so, you know, I I would always uh, go to uh, queen. We are the champions.
2: Oh, yeah, no that that's awesome. I love it. I got to tell you, as you were going through those songs, those song titles, yeah, those all gave me chill bumps. <laughs> I, 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 I'm I'm going to go and listen to some of those right now. I think
0: I just added them to my playlist. I'm gonna I'm gonna create. A, but you have inspired me to create a, a be vigilant playlist. So I'm I'm loving this activity here.
2: There you go. Yeah, yeah, and you'll hear more songs. You know, over the next few months, And you'll say, Hey, wait a minute. This is a good Be Vigilant song. I'm it. That's going to the playlist. Exactly. Exactly. Nice. Lynn, I've learned so much from you. I know others are learning so much from you, but where can people go to learn more?
0: Yeah. So you can go to Len lenherstein.com, L E N H E R S T E I N.com. So lenherstein.com is where all the information about me and where uh, the Be Vigilant book is, is all about. It's got links to everywhere you can buy the book and Amazon and Barnes Noble and Noble and all sorts of things. Uh, I also encourage people to just, uh, reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn. I love, I love getting people reaching out and connecting on LinkedIn and just, uh, you know, learning about other people's stories and and seeing what's going on. So those are the two best places. And, you know, I just want to kind of, you know, reiterate that, you know, be vigilant is a how-to book. It really is all about actionable insights and tools and techniques you can use right away to, uh to help safeguard the success you've worked so hard for in life and in business. And I, and, I, and I I appreciate you starting with the fact that you were coming in with maybe, you know, not the greatest view of what you're going to get out of the book. And I, I love that. I love that, that I was able to change your mind.
2: Your writing changed my mind. <laughs> and I love how you also shared it as this is not a book about how to become successful as a business or in business. This is a book about how to, hold on to that success once you have it.
0: Exactly. That's exactly
2: it. Lynn, thank you so much for being here today. I absolutely appreciate your lessons.
0: Oh, thanks, Matt. This has been awesome. I love, I love what you're doing here. I love your podcast, and I really appreciate you having me on.
2: Hey, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Lynn Hurstein. So go ahead, check out his book, Be Vigilant. It's going to help you and your team realize the value of not falling into complacency and help you understand how your team can keep looking ahead to understand the realistic challenges that can impact you in the future. And then you can prepare and act on them so you're not caught off guard. And you'll want to give some serious consideration to you or your team attending Lynn's Brand Manage Camp in 2022. Forbes calls it one of the must-attend marketing conferences. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. It's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Dory Clark. Oh, this was a fun interview. Dory's a leadership consultant, keynote speaker, and professor at both Duke University's Fuqua School of Business and Columbia Business School. She's a contributor to Harvard Business Review, and she's been named as one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50. Dory's also the Wall Street Journal best-selling author of Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of the year by Inc. Magazine. And Dory's recent book just hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list too, The Long Game how to be a long-term thinker in a short-term world. If you think about where we are today and what technology and customer experience has provided us, I think we're pretty spoiled as it relates to instant gratification. While it's great to be able to get our hands on most anything we want either overnight or same day, that expectation is spilling over into our lives and what we expect to achieve But that's really not the case real significance real milestones real achievements take time in the long game dory shows us why it takes time but she also gives us the strategies and frameworks to work towards those goals while it's taking time so we don't simply give up when realistic timelines and our own unrealistic timelines don't match up so go ahead and subscribe you'll automatically get Dory's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple.
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.